Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. So I'm going to be talking about flood insurance today, Joshua 4, 15 to 17. And as you know, we're meeting in the cafeteria today. You never know where we're going to be meeting, do we? Imagine never knowing, though, where we're going to meet week to week, or if we even will meet. Can you imagine what that would be like? It happens all over the world to the underground church because of worldwide persecution. Very few Muslim-majority countries allow any kind of freedom of faith. Just read Voice of the Martyrs or Open Door Ministries. Also, Christianity under communism faces intense persecution. China, where the buildings are demolished and homes are raided and they often end up out in the forests or, or rivers for secret baptisms. Terry Noble has a great blog called Persecution Unveiled, which is on our website. Click in on that and, and listen to what she has to say and read what she has to say on a weekly basis. The Bible teaches that one day all true believers will be persecuted. In fact, it's one of the signs of the ends of the age. Just before the second coming, Matthew 24, 9 says this. In Matthew 24, 9 he says, then, Jesus says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. All nations. And that includes the United States. We're one of the nations. And we can see that coming, can't we? We can see the hate of Christianity coming in our society. So what do we do? What's our job now? Is it a bunker mentality and extreme prepping? Well, preparing is always wise anyways, right? We should always have an emergency plan. But Christians are not supposed to have a bunker mentality. Just the opposite, as we will see today. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace to speak to us through your word. We pray that you would touch our hearts and open our eyes and help us to take a step forward in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been studying the crossing of the River Jordan, which was a miracle. The priest stood there with, carrying the ark, and they had taken that step of faith, and we saw the stones they piled up. And we don't want to miss anything in this passage, especially something very important at the end. In Joshua 20, I'm sorry, Joshua 4, 15, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, no sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. This is what we call flood insurance. The priests held back the floodwaters by their presence, but when they walked out, the flood returned. Now remember, Jordan means judgment. They held back the judgment. When they were removed by Joshua, the river of judgment flooded back in. This is a spiritual, prophetic picture. Who are the priests today? Are the guys walking around wearing collars? I don't wear one. <laughs> no, it's not. Those aren't the priests. All true Christians are the priests. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.5 it says, where he says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. They're talking about the priesthood of all believers. Everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and is a true Christian, we are the priests. So this is our job today. Our job is to hold back God's judgment by our presence and by our obedience. In Matthew 5.13 it says, You are the salt of the earth. What does salt, Jesus says, that's what our job today. What does salt do? It keeps something from rotting and it flavors. It makes something better. Those are the two main jobs of salt. Keep something from rotting, the meat from rotting, and it flavors. It makes something better. And that is our purpose. And when we do our job, we slow down God's judgment. But when we don't do our job, Matthew 5.13, the rest of the, the verse there says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. When we don't do our job, the country and Christians are judged. And the USA today is in danger of judgment because the priests and the church is not doing its job. How do I know we are not doing our job? Because in our country, 50% of all Americans claim to be born again. 30% claim to be evangelical Christians. And yet, look at the mess we are in. We are not doing our job. Our job is to be salt and light. In fact, in the insert today, in the bulletin, there's glimpses of Christian history, issue 327. And it talks about how the Christian church, the early Christians, were salt. They were salt. They did do this job. It says early Christians, I'm just going to read you a few highlights here. Early Christians benefited greatly from a radically new and different way of life. Transformed community. In fact, many pagans, I'm just reading you a few highlights here. In fact, many pagans were attracted to the Christian faith because the church produced tangible, not only spiritual blessings for its adherents. Christian charity. Chief among the tangibles was that in a world entirely lacking social services, there's no welfare system, Christians were their brother's keepers. At the end of the second century, Tertullian wrote that while pagan temples spend their donations on feasts and drinking, Christians spent theirs to support and bury poor people, to supply the want of boys and girls destitute of means and parents, and of old persons confined to the house. Christian charity were confirmed by pagan observers. Listen to this. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, complained the pagan emperor Julian, but ours as well. The willingness of Christians to care for others was put on dramatic public display when two great plagues swept the empire, one beginning in A.D. 165 and the second in A.D. 251. Mortality rates climbed higher than 30%. Pagans tried to avoid all contact with the afflicted, often casting the still living into the gutters. Christians, on the other hand, nursed the sick, even though some believers died doing so. The results of these efforts were dramatic. Christian social services were also visible and valuable during the frequent natural and social, social disasters afflicting the Roman world. Earthquakes, famines, floods, riots, civil wars, and invasions. Here's another area. Girl power. Women greatly outnumbered men among the early converts. However, in the empire as a whole, men vastly outnumbered women. There was an estimated 131 men for every 100 women in Rome. Widespread female infanticide had reduced the numbers of women in society. Frequent abortions 
and telling great risk in the words of Celsus, killed many women and left even more barren. The Christian community, however, practiced neither abortion nor infanticide and thus drew in women. Pagan women typically were married at a young age, often before puberty, to much older men. But Christian women were older when they married and had more choice in whom and even if they would marry. In addition, Christian men could not easily divorce their wives and both genders were subject to strongly enforced rules against extramarital sex. Urban Sanctuary, another area. Christianity also offered a strong community in a disorganized, chaotic world. Greco-Roman cities were terribly overpopulated. Antioch, for example, had a population density more than three times that of modern-day New York City. Imagine New York City with three times as many people living there. The, the places where they lived, the tenement cubicles were, were smoky, dark, damp, dirty. Uh, outside in the streets, mud, open sewers, manure lay everywhere, and even human corpses were found in the gutters. Newcomers and strangers divided into many ethnic groups, harbored bitter antagonism that often interrupted into violent riots. Boy, sounds like today, doesn't it? For these ills, Christianity offered a unifying subculture, bridging these divisions and providing a strong sense of common identity. To cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity and hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate fellowship. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new expanded sense of family. In a similar fashion, Christianity mitigated relations among social classes. And in the very time when the gap between rich and poor was growing, Christianity did not preach that everyone could or should be socially or politically equal, but it did preach that all were equal in the eyes of God and that the more fortunate had a responsibility to help those in need. And here's the last thing I'm going to read. Did you know between 250 AD and 300 AD, the percentage of Christians in the Roman Empire grew from approximately 2% to 10%. And now we know why. Because they were being salt and light. Our job is to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13. I'm going to read the next couple of verses through 16. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city and a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We're also to be light, to be light so that they can praise our Father in heaven. Back to 1 Peter 2, now this time in verse 9 where it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That we may declare the praises of him. That's our witness. That's the whole point of us being salt and being light is so that we can be a witness and share the love of Christ and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died for our sins. That he, give us life if, that he gives us life if we put our faith in him. Eternal life. Someday in heaven with God forever. But a life that starts right now. A new, different dramatically different life, a full life, a life with purpose here if we will turn over that life to him and surrender our life to him. And that's the whole purpose of the miracle back in Joshua 4, 24, to witness to God's power. 
Back in Joshua 4.24, he said, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. That's the purpose of parting the river and taking the people through the river. That's our job, to be salt and light. But when we don't do our job, or if we, were, if we are removed for some reason, there is a mess and also God's judgment. We can see that in the USA Today, the effects. As Jesus Christ is removed from the public sphere, the media today is mostly anti-Christ. And we see what's happening in our society, that our culture is rotting because a whole generation has been brainwashed. They bought the anti-biblical propaganda and we're suffering the effects. Just one example. God has been removed from the public schools. The Bible was one time a textbook in the schools. Not just Bible reading, but it was actually the main textbook in the public schools. Did you know that? Probably not because none of you are old enough to remember that, but you probably do remember when the Bible was allowed or prayer was allowed in the public schools. Some of you remember that. But God was removed from the public schools. Prayer was removed, and the results have been shocking. In fact, David Barton on Wall Builders, I had sent out this video via email earlier this week, but on Wall Builders, he showed some of the results of rejecting God in our public schools. He says in, in one of his articles here, the statistical records of the past 60 years clearly show a negative impact starting around the year 1962 when prayer, school prayer was removed. Teen pregnancy rates have gone up 500%. Unmarried mothers have risen dramatically since 1962. The divorce rate is so high that many young children don't really understand what a family is. Violent crimes have risen steadily since the early 60s. Our prison system is bursting at the seams. The SAT scores have steadily declined each year since 1962. In fact, for the first 18 years since 1962, it was a complete decline, steady decline, and stayed stuck down there now. We once had the best school system in the world, and now we're ranked about 15th among industrialized nations. This despite spending more money than any other nation in the world on our school system. But, get this. It's interesting that in Christian schools, they have a much higher SAT score than in public schools. And yet, yet they spend much less per student than in public schools. But, in fact, David Barton points out that their scores are still, and Christian schools are still near the 1962 levels. What does that show? It shows the difference when you allow God into a school. And also government records. Here's another crazy thing. Government records, he shows that the top seven leading problems in our schools ranked from first to seventh in 1940 versus 1990. Look at the type of differences. All since we took God out of the schools. 1940, number one, talk, talking out of turn. Number two, chewing gum. Number three, making noise. Number four, running in the halls. Number five, cutting in line. Number six, dress code violations. Number seven, littering. 1990, the top seven problems in the public schools. Number one, drug abuse. Number two, alcohol abuse. Number three, pregnancy. Number four, suicide. Number five, rape. Number six, robbery. Number seven, assault. Are we happy with the results? God is gradually being removed from the USA today and we see the results all over our society. And the day will come when God's people are removed and God's judgment will come in like a flood. 
we saw we see this picture here in Joshua chapter 4 with the Jordan River but we see a picture even earlier in the book of Genesis Noah and the flood when godly Noah and his family were removed the flood was sent after they were put in the ark we're going to see the same thing happen that's a picture a prophetic picture of what we're going to see in the end times if you read the book of Revelation when the church is raptured now we don't know when that rapture is going to happen whether it's going to be at the beginning of the seven year tribulation, whether it's going to be in the middle, whether it's going to be at the end, just before Jesus comes again, we don't know. But we know that when that happens, finally, the ultimate judgment is going to fall upon this earth. How about us today? As Christians, are we being salt? Are we holding back judgment? Or have we lost our preserving power? Are we shining the light of Christ for those who are drowning in judgment already? We see a vivid picture of this today, don't we? The mobs are marching for so-called tolerance as they burn things and attack people and bully us and, and kill babies. <laughs> Some kind of tolerance, huh? We are in a spiritual war. That's what we're in. But in this war, we are called to speak the truth in love. Ephesians says to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth. And it's not easy, but we're called to speak the truth. I have a little sign on my desk to remind me of something. It says, truth, it's the new hate speech. Truth, it's the new hate speech. And then underneath that, it, a quote by George Orwell. He says, during times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. During times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. We see that today. But we're called to speak the truth, no matter what. But it has to be in love. Very important to speak the truth in love. One of my daughters uh, plays basketball. Several of them play basketball. One of them just had a game recently, a playoff game, and it got pretty hot. They were playing a, a tough kind of inner city kind of a school. And we, we won the game, and, and she made this really good block on one of the girls at the end of the game. She blocked the ball as they were shooting. And the girl took it very personal, got very, very angry. You could see it. Went over and... Followed, pushed my daughter out of bounds, you know, running for the ball. And then in the line afterwards when they were shaking hands, she went and shake my daughter's hand. She pulled her hand away and my daughter was like, what? <laughs> and, and she said, you want to fight? You want to fight? Meet you outside right now. We're going to go fight. And my daughter was like, Jesus loves you. <laughs> That's not what that girl was expecting to hear. And it's a good thing she was talking to this daughter instead of one of my other daughters. If it had been an older sister, she would have probably had the fight right there on the, on, the, on the court there. She would have had her hands full. But luckily, she, for her, she was said it to this daughter who said, Jesus loves you. But it wasn't the answer she was expecting to hear. Caught her totally off guard and it completely de-escalated. And that's what speaking the truth in love can do. Are we salt and light speaking the truth in love? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. You're still stuck in the mud. You're stuck in the middle of that river and you're facing judgment. It's coming any time. could be today for you. But God has made a way out of judgment. He's made a way out of judgment. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's our way out of judgment, that God loved us so much He gave His Son to die in our place, on that cross. And if we will put our faith in Him and give our life to Him, we can have life. We can avoid the judgment. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? In the book of Joshua, it says the people hurried over while the priests were standing there in the middle of that river. It said the people hurried over. When we looked at that, don't wait. It says now, the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Is this the day that you will take your step of faith? Let's pray. And as we go to this time of prayer, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever stepped out of that river of judgment by following Joshua up out of that river? Our Joshua, Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. Whoever you are right now hearing this, you can do that right now. Just say, God, I believe. I put my faith in Jesus who died on the cross in my place, who came back alive from the dead. For me, I put my faith in Him. I give my life to Him. I surrender this life. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. Forgive my sin. I repent of everything I've ever done in my life that goes against your word, against your perfect plan for my life. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of that. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer, you have just that prayer of faith, taking that step of faith, you have just passed out of judgment into life. Eternal life, and, and even more importantly, right now, a real life with God as your Father, with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, through Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian here today, I want to pray that, I, I want to just take some time to pray about what is our call as salt and light. And, and every time, just as a reminder, every time you use salt, I know we're not supposed to use salt, but I like salt. Every time you use salt, this week, or from now on, that would be a reminder that I'm supposed to be salt. Or every time we turn on a light, we all use light every day. Turn on lights off and on every day. Every time we turn on lights, a reminder that I'm supposed to be the light of Jesus Christ in this world. 